Hello, welcome to another exciting episode of Andrew's Philosophicast. Um, I hope both both George, my, my guest, um, who you're, you're all familiar with, say hello, George. Hello, guys. Uh, we both hope that you're, you're doing all right and staying safe in these tricky times. Um, and we, we just thought we'd, uh, we'd continue the, the very special uh, sort of three-part series, George's, George's Tragedies, um, on sort of the nature infinity. Uh, we thought we'd continue that today as just a little bit of a distraction uh, for you and maybe just give you something to think about. So uh, last last episode, which is available on, on Spotify and, and all other sort of platforms where you get your podcasts um, and Buzzsprout and that where, where it's hosted, um, we started to talk about like this nature of infinity and we went went through sort of the ancient Greece and Rome, sort of the pre-Socratics uh, and everything. And we pretty much got, got up to got up to, to, to Aristotle and and Aquinas. Um, today we're going to sort of continue a little bit further with this. We're going to talk about sort of uh, some medieval philosophers and, and what their take is on, on this, this nature of infinity. It's probably a good idea just to quickly recap where we've got kind of up kind of up to Aristotle and his his ideas on on infinity infinity where he talks about sort of potentiality and actuality where there is uh, the actuality of infinity is hard to get to, the, but the potentiality is there, almost like hard and soft verification that you can talk to with sort of modern-day influences on that. Um, but before George steps in, and George has got an awful lot of, of stuff to discuss, I just wanted to, to briefly talk about one of one of Aristotle's kind of main disciples. We're going to talk, uh, talk today about, about St. Thomas Aquinas. Uh, obviously, Thomism is a, is a really, really influential sort of branch of philosophy, and you could sort of say that he... I mean, he's, the book that he wrote is it's called Summa Theologica, which means all theology. And bless him, he really does have a go at doing all theology. So he kind of has a has a word on on the nature of of infinity. And what what Aquinas says is he says that um, God's infinity is totally different to any finity that there is within sort of the human world. So so all you'll get in the human world is 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 the finite. But God is infinite, um, and he talks, and he talks about something that, that's picked up by by Boethius, and Boethius, uh, Anicius Boethius is kind of like a, a Roman philosopher who talks about the timelessness of God, um, and I think Aquinas and, and Boethius kind of complement themselves here when we're looking at at God being infinite and us being finite, because um, Aquinas gives this this really really interesting analogy of like. Of like humans, it's it's quite a dismissive sort of view of us here. Like humans, we're we're like bugs in the grass, and all we can see is what's what's immediately in front of us. But God is like like an eagle, where he exists outside of kind of time and looks down upon it. The the one that Boethius uses, and he, he writes in a really interesting way. Boethius he writes to 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 philosophy, and he calls he calls philosophy lady philosophy, and philosophy replies, which is which is quite quite cool, I think. Um, he talks about like sort of got, like our journey around a hill. So if you can imagine, take yourselves out of things here. If you can imagine, you're walking around the perimeter of a hill to get to the the top, where you can see a little bit in front of you and a little bit behind you. Now that Boethius is your understanding of time. He says God is above that hill, looking down on it. So he sort of sees a circle and perceives all time, uh, everything. At the same at the same time, so that's kind of kind of their view on infinity. Yeah, in the point being there that we cannot have that perspective from our position. Yes, very very much, George. So that's that's the thing. So 
hopefully what you've got from my end before George goes bananas with this is that sort of within philosophy, sort of in the medieval period, there's this this idea on infinity that we can't perceive it, uh, that it's forever out of our uh, out of our grasp. Um, and I'll turn over to George now here because he's apparently got got all sorts of input. I think I think just to um, position Aquinas for your listeners, um, I believe this is right. In the Catholic Church, it goes Jesus. Um, St. Peter and Paul, then Thomas Aquinas. Pretty much. Order. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Got, got a good Aquinas story if you want to hear it, George. Oh, then. Right, you know he's a saint, and you know you've got to do so many miracles to become a saint? Right. Well, his was. This This is quite a good one, and I think you'll like this. So, you've got to do one when you're alive. And so, mm-hmm. like, his last wish as a, dying, as a dying man was he says, Oh, I'd really like to taste. I think he asked for, like, a heron as a fish. And uh, they handed him over. A plate, uh, I don't know, because he was dying, a plate of salmon. And he goes, oh, yes, that herring was delicious. And the miracle there is that he turned the salmon into a herring. Wow, that is a major miracle, that. <laughs> might be wrong, listeners, might be a different fish, but I thought you'd enjoy it. Yes, so that, that, that is a really good um, introduction there with Aquinas. And obviously, it, something I've learned about... And sort of joining the dots, it's it's interesting how the Greek thought was ported into um, Western thought. I know that it's part of the West, but into Italy, into Catholicism, in um, Aquinas, definitely that bridge. Would you agree with that? Oh, hundred percent. I think that when you look at uh, when you look at sort of Aquinas in the like the the so-called Dark Ages, leaving up the sort of the, the Renaissance and medieval philosophy, it's just really. That learned people like monks and what have you, like like Aquinas, and I know you're going to talk about some other monks later on. Um, it's just that they had access to uh, to Aristotle, to Plato, to the Greek philosophers that we talked about last last lesson, and they kind of steal their ideas verbatim, really. Yeah, yeah, because you can read you can read the Old Old Testament, the New Testament, and a lot of it. The New Testament, sorry, is a lot of it reads like Plato, isn't it? In the beginning, there was this and that. Absolutely, um, I think that. Omega. It's it's what's interesting there is when you look at and we'll, we'll and we'll talk about this before about like how truth is lost in translation. So with like the the original sort of um, testaments written in Aramaic, Hebrew, translated into Greek, then from Greek into sort of Latin, and then from Latin into Italian into modern day English and King James, and it's an interesting thing anyway. Yeah. So so the the point the listeners and I'm not trying to leave it too much is Aquinas has set the scene here. He set out the um, intellectual framework that the church is willing to accept. Yeah. Um, and the Catholic Church, um, two hundred years is a rush for the Catholic Church. <laughs> um, so it's not ready for radical new ideas, particularly the ones that are going to um, pick away at the bedrock. Um, so the first person um, we're going to talk about this week, from my perspective, is. Uh, Galileo, um, so Galileo, Magnifico, yeah. So obviously from from Italy as well, um, and he he was the obviously some of these people are famous for other things. We're going to discuss Newton and uh, Leibniz and um, other characters. So but we're going to stick with infinity because we'll just end up in a biography of every single person. So, <laughs> um, so Galileo, um, where he comes in. Yeah, is he's the first person, um, not particularly a philosopher, a scientist, to start grappling with this idea of infinity. Now, what he, how he tackles the problem is he, he does a bit of a, a discourse, 
He has two characters, uh, Salvatini and uh, Simplico. Uh, obviously, Simplico is the, the idiot. Um, <laughs> I think some of the questions that he gets Simplico to ask are not particularly ridiculous, but uh, maybe it shows Galileo's view on people, but still. So, uh, but before we get into that bit, one, one model that Galileo uh, dreamt of was if you imagine two wheels. Right. One big, so say a meter high, mm-hmm. and one quite small, but equally the wheels are attached. So imagine like a sort of, well, a bit like a cone, like at one end it's, it's sort of the meter, and yeah. then it comes down to something much smaller, but both circles. Do yeah. you see what I mean? Got you. And imagine they're both on rails, parallel rails. Got you. Can you, see, can you, can you imagine this? Yep. But you could imagine that these wheels would roll down this rail and get to the end at the same time. Right. Can you see that? Can you see that? Can you imagine this, Andrew? I've got it. Yeah, yeah, you've got it. So, so the point he's making there is a sort of paradox of infinity, bigger and little infinities. Do you see what I mean? Because oh, right, yeah. Gone infinite steps. Now, this speaks quite um, cleverly to um, Zeno's paradox. Do, mm-hmm. do you remember we were talking about that? Yes. So the, um, the infinite in the tiny tiny steps in between everything ever smaller steps yeah well a circle in one revolution is always doing that and, and he's represented that in the big and the little it, it, it's, it's just quite an interesting way to think of it it is interesting that i was i was speaking with a mathematician friend about this in sort of um, in preparation for it and he was saying that you've got to get out you've, you've got to establish in your head that the, the idea that there are there are more and less of certain things within infinity. And he taught me about like um, like prime numbers in infinity was was something that I think would fit fit nicely with this. George, he said that there's an infinite number of numbers, but you've got to accept as well that there are more non-prime numbers than prime numbers in infinity, even though there's an infinite number of each. Yeah, well, that's exactly the point we're going to make next. But I think I think what's interesting with this the wheels thing is. That's the first time you could do a real-world representation. It's not just a mental experiment. Mm. You could actually build these pillars um, and go from there. It's um, interesting, that. The, in terms of the discourse with this current simple goal, he asks exactly your question um, to Salvatini. He goes, um, or Salvatini points on a simple goal, imagine uh, square numbers. So square number, Andrew, which you'll remember from school, is one times one equals one. I needed that, George. Thank you. Two times two is four. Three times three is nine. So we've got a sequence of numbers, one, four, nine, 16, 25. Yeah. But as I've spoken there, um, and this is the sort of intelligence of the point, really, is that you can see an immediate direct one-to-one correspondence because all we're doing, one and one, two and two, three and three, four and four, um, so there's a, already a correspondence. So for every number, there's a square. But there's oh. a lot more numbers than squares. Uh-huh. Can you see the point? Yeah, so you can't go... You can go up in kind of... What's the word I'm looking for? In like kind of um, a mathematical form, like in a way, but you can't necessarily go down. Not not quite. It, the point he makes is you can you can always make a direct pair so all right yes it, it's exactly the crime argument if you can always make an exact pair you've got to say it's the same yeah got you it's another representation of what your friend said but it, this 
this this this is a very early I mean we're sixteenth century here. This is exactly what Canto gets on with later on. But I think we've got a Dosper hat, the Galileo, um, busy with other things that we'll not talk about. Um, <laughs> everyone knows. Um, but th- th- this is this is. I think this is again the first point where it ends being about philosophy and starts being more about maths. Get you. So an idea that we're starting to get a kind of skeleton and framework around. Yeah, it's become more specialist now. Once we talk, start talking about squares, sets, ordinals, cardinals, all this stuff. Um, we're moving away now. The point, the the segue I'm going to make with the next character, um, which is going to contain my next uh, tragedy. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, is uh, Galileo um, ran ran roughshod over the Catholic Church, and he was under house arrest um, in the 16th century. But Galileo was quite a smart guy, and he basically just softened down his views a bit. wasn't reeling against things, just sort of toward the line, so to speak. He was a sellout. Yeah, yeah. So no, no stake burning or anything terrible for, for Galileo. However, one of his contemporaries in Italy, a guy called Giordano Bruno. Now, he was in a bit of an amazing guy. Um, a sort of jack of all trades master of none. Um, yep. Polymath. Um, did a lot of work on memory, monomics and stuff like that. Um, but also he tackled um, Infinity. Now, he came from Infinity from more of a cosmological standpoint, Andrew. Oh, go on. So basically, um, again, you can see this coming from the ancient Greeks, but he talked about there's innumerable suns across a new, with innumerable Earths, and in each of these will have people living on them, basically, was his point. Um, a sort of non-heliocentric, non um, Earth-centric view of the universe, so just an endless microcosm within a microcosm within a microcosm, and he held space to be truly infinite. Mm. Um, and that was one of his heresies. Interesting guy. Um, he was a monk as well, though, wasn't he, George? Yeah, he was a monk. All, all, all these people, only education accessible was uh, through the church, through, through the through the churches. Mm. Um, but I think it's the ability to have that thought. I mean. From a cosmological point of view, and I know the Greeks spoke about this, it's imagining the edges of the universe. This is exactly the same as infinity plus one. You're yeah, at the yeah. very edge of the universe. Well, what happens when you step, step outside that? Do you get immediately repelled? Well, why would you get repelled? And why would you be able to continue? So there must be something outside of it. There's got to be something outside of it. So this guy's answer was that there's infinite worlds out there, um, there's infinite suns, um, and that, that, that was his view. So it... He just opening the world up from that point of view and reducing that sort of uh, the Earth-centric point of view. Very interesting, very interesting. What? Well, come on then, tell about the tragedy, George. So, <clears throat> so you know, Darno didn't really come about it the same way as uh, Galileo. So he also didn't believe in the Trinity. He didn't be, believe in anything really. Some <laughs> he, he definitely believed. He saw he saw the beauty in the infinite universe of God. He held that. But everything else, he just railed against. Basically, um, he had travels across Europe, went Oxford University, endless. He just got chucked out of every university, basically, for his wild views. <laughs> um, so basically, the court of them eventually, um, and the trial took eight years. <laughs> so it, it, I've been reading this stuff. It was so heretical. Her- 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 heretical. Heretical. 
You wonder why it took eight years. <laughs> so after, anyway, after the end of the eight-year trial, um, sort of imprisoned his tongue, as the line goes, so they must add some sort of... Uh, is it an Iron Maiden? What's the thing where they put oh, around Oh, like a school's bridal thing where you can't move your tongue. Yeah, they, they put, put that on him, and they stripped him naked and hung him upside down for the sea. And then they brought him out of that, and they made him crawl up his own uh, funeral pyre. People were, people were screaming, repent, and he refused. Um, adamant about his views about the universe, um, and they burned him to his death. Nice little segue there. If you ever were lucky enough to go on the St. Benedict School trip to Rome, one of the squares we're taking to you is is the the square where Bruno is is executed, and you get there's big statue of him. Just to say one thing on the Catholic Church, they can sometimes be accused of being a little set in their ways, but they did apologise about their treatment of Bruno, um, and put that statue up. So, yeah, yeah. And, and the the historical significance of Bruno's death is it's seen by some scholars to be that. Um, the end of the Enlightenment, the um, Renaissance. Yes, very true. So, uh, this is that's a totemic figure, really, isn't it? The, the, so, this is Leonardo, um, all the great works of art. Yeah. Um, this is seen as the end point. I mean, it, it's a sort of it's when Italy sort of steps away from the forefront of thought and thinking and power um, in the rise of France and other places, Spain, um, England, probably. Um, it was really so interesting that George, a, I enjoyed that, thank you it It's good. a very line, line in the sand moment And again, it gives us another death count and infinity uh, story And another mark in history It was good that George, I really enjoyed that, thank you very much Okay, so next week we're going to move on to Calculus, Newton and Cantor very interesting. So next week we're going to we're going to try and finish off Infinity, which um, is a nice little oxymoron for us to end end with there. Uh, George, thank you so much for, uh, for 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 bringing more deaths and tragedy into our life, and we'll try and get this done for you next week. Um, all the best, guys. Uh, stay safe. <laughs>